of our Lord Jesus Christ, the theater, the auditorium was full of thousands of people. The judges were sitting at the table, and onto the stage came a young 16-year-old girl, a survivor of cancer, and she started singing most beautifully. She started singing, this is my fight song, take back my life song, prove I'm a right song. My power's turned on, starting right now, I'll be strong. This girl had overcome great trials and tribulations. And she was expressing joy in the power of the human spirit. To overcome, to overcome great pain and affliction. And it was stirring. And it hits you right in the feels when you see something like that. The auditorium to a man leapt to their feet and cheered as she sang. This was a number of years ago in America's Got Talent. It was powerful what she said, what she did, what she sang. It was a powerful response from the audience. But it wasn't true. We have no power. We cannot take back our lives. We do not have the strength or the power to control Sickness and accidents and disease and disasters and let alone death. And the world feeds itself a delusion. And the world sermonizes and preaches that delusion to us. And all the media and entertainment, the world, the kingdom of darkness preaches to us that deep inside yourself you must find the strength to carry on that you must be strong in yourself. And it sounds so good, but it is a denial of reality. It is a denial of the gospel. It is an embrace of a damned lie. It is the lie of the kingdom of darkness. And today we have before us the opposite of all of that. Today we have before us in our text the truth of the gospel in which God calls us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And when you read that word Lord, not in all capital letters, but Lord with a large L and then the, the O-R-D in the small letters, that's in the New Testament a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the word kyrios, in Greek, the Lord Jesus Christ. Be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the strength of his might. Now, Paul, as we've come to chapter 6, along the way, he has made clear the great antithesis, the great conflict between those two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of darkness is all about the flesh, and the works of the flesh, and all those horrible things associated with it which lead to death. And the kingdom of light is the, the sphere of the Spirit. 
and all the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and all the, the good things that have to do with life and holiness. And Paul has made clear to us that we as the church are spirit-filled citizens of the kingdom of light. We have our hearts filled with the word of God. We speak, we sing the word to each other. Our lives are filled with the word, filled with thanksgiving. And our spirit-filled lives are full of joy and thankfulness as we take our places in the Lord. You see that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, that we're, that's part of the Spirit-filled life, to, to submit to one another, to take our places in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he described, and we've been through that in the last Sundays, he described how that works in, in marriage and in family and in work and daily activities, that in all of these things, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We rise to our calling, and we embrace our task in him. And now Paul is summing up all of this by calling us to do all that in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is an infinitely great an infinitely powerful Lord. If you flip back in your Bible, just a, a page there to, to chapter 1, verse 10, the apostle speaks about the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This is the Lord in whom we are to find our strength. His power is infinite. His power is absolute. His infinite and absolute power is over absolutely everything for absolutely all time, every age. His absolute, infinite, eternal power. He wields as master of the universe, Lord of all time and all space. And to him, to the exalted, almighty, omnipotent, ruling, sovereign, Lord Jesus Christ. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The head of the church, the body, the husband of the bride, is the one who has all power and authority in heaven and earth. This is Christ, the head of the body. This is Christ, the Lord of the church. He is the master of the universe. And Paul says, be strong in him and in the strength of his might. And what a difference. What a difference that is from that 
fight song that that little girl sang on that stage so many years ago. When we want to sing our fight songs about turning our power on and being strong, we're like a lamp which is not plugged into the wall and it's trying to convince itself to spark a little bit of light. It's never going to happen. But when we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and find our strength and power and might in him, then we are plugged in to an infinite power source, which if he wills can make us light up the universe itself. And that's why, because it's his strength and his might and his power, that's why in verse 11, the apostle continues to say, put on the whole armor of God. Not our armor, not our attempts to deal with things as we go through the next verses, verses 13 through to 17, which describe this panoply, which is an English word. That's the Greek word in our text. A panoply is a, a full kit of armor, and it can also mean just a full kit of anything, any kind of uh, clothing. But it's a, a panoply, a, a total outfitting of the soldier. And as we go through these next verses, we will see that it evokes these themes from the Old Testament. We read Isaiah 59, that's one example, where the Lord is wearing this armor, the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. And so what the apostle's saying is, is that we need to be clothed in the power and the might and the armor of God because we are called to stand against an enemy that is too powerful for us. He's far beyond our pay grade. It is the devil who stands against us, that, and we must stand against him. The devil, with all of his schemes, and the word schemes there in the Greek is the word that's behind our word for method. The devil is very disciplined and methodical in the way that he attacks the children of God. The word method has to do with the ways that you follow to get certain things done. And he has spent thousands of years since the fall practicing and practicing and practicing those devious ways to make inroads into our hearts and lives, into our homes and families and relationships. And there's no way that we can stand against this enemy in our own strength and our own intelligence. And Paul goes on to explain that in verse 12. We're not fighting against a human enemy. We might be able to handle that if we were wrestling against flesh and blood. We might have a chance if there were human weapons and human strategies arrayed against us. But this is not the case. Our battle is against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And notice as we read through verse 12, how many times, in verse 11 as well, how many times the word against is mentioned? Five times. There's a conflict going on. Against, 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 against. There's a conflict. There is an enemy. 
intent on our total destruction and annihilation. And if we are in such a situation, how then shall we live? How then should we live? How are people living right now in Ukraine as their country is attacked by a neighboring country? As they have an enemy that is seeking to take hold of their land and seize control? Are they just blithely wandering around doing daily life and not paying much attention to anything? No. They know they're at war. And every conversation and every action and every plan and every decision is taken in the context of war. And to act in any other way would be the height of folly. It would be stupidity to walk around in a war zone as if there were no war. And yet how many Christians do not do this? How many Christians do not blithely wander around in life? They don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear about war. They don't want to hear about the devil. They just want to hear happy things, pop psychology from the pulpit. But the scripture teaches us to be realistic, brothers and sisters, to recognize that we are locked in a life and death struggle with cosmic powers. And these cosmic powers are the devil and his fallen angels, the demons. The Bible calls the devil the ruler of this world. He has taken it by force, and he had to be dethroned by the Lord Jesus Christ in his coming and his death and resurrection. These are cosmic powers. These are the false gods behind which the demonic powers and the spirit of the age are. These are fallen angels. They are spiritual forces, not physical. And they are in the heavenly places. Now, that's a little bit stunning to read because earlier in Ephesians, we read about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has been raised up into the heavenly places and that we are raised up with him into the heavenly places. So what are these evil powers doing in the heavenly places? Well, the ordinary home base of the spirits, the angels, is the heavens. But at the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, the devil and all his fallen angels were cast down to the earth. They cannot, they can no longer be in the heaven of heavens because Christ has defeated them. And they are defeated, but yet they are dangerous. And so... They blanket the earth with darkness, and they are behind every vile spirit, every rebellious movement which raises itself against the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are in the very lowest of the heavens, the atmosphere above the earth. That is their place of action. And they preach... And they categorize through entertainment and movies and books and magazines and games. 
these powers and these ideas of darkness, these spiritual forces of evil, they bring the battle into the realm of our mind and our heart. That's where the battle is. And as they do that, they have an ally deep within us. As they attack the city of man's soul deep within us, there is a fifth column, which is our old nature, which has not yet totally died and which we need to be mortifying and putting to death. But as the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places attack us, there is an answering call from our old nature, which as deep calls to deep. And their power, their power is in sin and death. And every sinner is in thrall to them. Every sinner is enslaved to these powers. That's whom we are standing against. That's who is attacking us. That's who we are locked in battle with. And that's a little frightening, perhaps, at first glance, but certainly not at second glance, as we go to the Scriptures to figure out what the status is of these great demonic and dark powers. If you turn just a few pages further in your Bible to Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, this speaks about the powerful working of God in Christ and the cross. And we're just going to read Colossians 2, 14 and 15. By canceling the record, he forgave all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Our sin is nailed to the cross. And we bear it no more. That's where the power of these evil forces is. They have power over sin and sinners, but our sin is gone. And so they have no power over us anymore. And then keep reading in Colossians 2.15. This is what Jesus did. This is what God did in Jesus. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. The ones we're talking about there in Ephesians 6. He disarmed them. And he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. That is our enemy. A vanquished enemy. A defeated enemy. An enemy which Jesus has put to shame by his work on the cross. An enemy which has no power over us because our sin is no more. And so our opponents, they're dangerous and they're scary, but they have already lost. We are engaged in a war in which we already have the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. We are engaged in a battle in which we are already more than conquerors through him who loved us, through the Lord Jesus Christ. The battle is decided. The enemy is vanquished. And yet, he's thrashing around in his death throes to do as much damage as possible. Until the Lord Jesus returns on that great day after every enemy has been put under his feet. Until that day, there's still the mopping up operation to happen with the kingdom of darkness. That's what we're living in, the mopping up time. And so 
Even this defeated enemy can still hurt us. And therefore, says the apostle, verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, back in verse 12, he said, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. And the Greeks and then later on the Romans, as they took over a lot of the Greek culture, they loved wrestling. And in Greco-Roman wrestling, you lost if you were knocked down and pinned to the ground or if you were pushed out of the ring. In other words, if you didn't stand, if you didn't stay standing and stay standing in the place. To win at wrestling, you needed to stand. But Paul says, look, we're not wrestling with humans. We're fighting spiritual forces of evil, and that requires military equipment and tactics. It requires the whole armor of God, the panoply, the whole kit. And in Roman warfare, standing was a thing. Standing was an important thing. We watch the movies, and we perhaps some of us play Call of Duty or some other first-person shooter, and you go running around, and you lie on the ground, and, and in, in modern infantry tactics, you don't want to do a lot of standing in one place. You want to run and hit the ground and crawl to a position under, in cover and fire from a prone position if you can. So this doesn't make a lot of sense to us if we think in modern military terms. But in Roman fighting, you needed to stand. They worked in groups of soldiers in the centuries and the cohorts. They had smaller groups within the centuries, and they had to take their places. And they would only win if everyone stuck to his position, if everyone kept his place, if everyone stood firm in his position in the unit. In the unit. So this is not the individualist American dream of uh, in, an individual drawing on their inner strength to achieve personal victories. But this is rather taking our places in the community, rising to the challenge of being faithful and carrying out the duties of our office and calling in communion with, in cooperation with others under the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to in our text. And so the apostle continues, stand therefore. Stand, take your place, not just for you, but for the army and for the king. Take your place in the calling God has given you in marriage as a husband, as a wife, or as someone called to be single. Take your place in the calling God has given you with respect to family as a parent or a child or as a mother and father whom the Lord has called to a special calling with no children in the kingdom. Take your place in the calling that you have in work and daily industry and productivity. Whatever that calling looks like, whether it's kind of the regular thing that most people do in going out to work, or if it's a special calling as God calls you to worship him as unemployed or to do your daily work and industry as you lie flat on your back in bed or as you sit in a wheelchair 
in every one of those callings, we are called to stand firm. To stand firm. Having fastened on the belt of truth, says the apostle. Now the belt of truth, the belt was important for the infantryman. He would hang his sword in its scabbard from the belt. He would keep the breastplate in place so that it wouldn't ride up and choke him. He would keep his tunic tucked into his belt so he was ready for movement and he wouldn't get tripping over his, his clothing as he tried to battle. So the belt was important. It kept your kit together. It kept you ready and prepared for battle. And the truth does this for the Christian soldier. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is truth incarnate. Everything holds together in him. And we are called to, to gird up our loins. Peter says that in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, girding up the loins of your mind. What he means by that is preparing yourself for action. And Christian soldiers prepare themselves for action by having their entire life held together by the truth himself, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you do not love the Lord Jesus, if you do not seek the Lord Jesus, if you do not know the Lord Jesus and the truth that he is, then you will be unprepared in the battle, and the waves of darkness and lies will wash over you, and you won't even know what's happening. You know, invariably, Invariably, as the elders pastor the congregation and they deal with people that fall into sin and harden themselves in sin and die more and more spiritually, almost invariably, it is people who stop coming to church, who fall under the onslaught of sin and temptation, who do not spend significant time in the Word of God, who do not seek Christ in Bible study and meditation and re the reading and the preaching of the Word. And if the Lord Jesus, if the truth of God that is in Christ Jesus does not hold your life together, then you will fall before the onslaught of the kingdom of darkness. Peter says this in chapter 5 of his first letter, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We might kind of get clueless and just kind of walk along blithely ignorant of the dangers in which we are, but the devil, he's focused and he's looking for those sheep that are just straying wherever and not paying attention. He's looking to devour. If you don't live your life embracing the truth in Christ, you will fall for every lie. You will be a vulnerable victim. If you do not stand for truth, if you do not stand in truth, if you do not stand with truth, you will fall for anything. And so we're called to stand, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And remember, this is God's armor. 
Isaiah 59 speaks about this, this breastplate of righteousness of God. And this is something that we have been given. He has given us this breastplate. Nothing that we could manufacture could come close to it. It is the righteousness of God. It is the righteousness of Christ. It has been given to us. And it is unassailable. Nothing can destroy it. Nothing can get through it. And if we have that righteousness, it will be the height of folly to just leave that breastplate cast aside as we wander around the battlefield. we got to put it on. And putting it on means we use it and we wear it and we rejoice in it. Living an unholy life, casting aside and not making use of the breastplate of righteousness leaves us exposed to be badly wounded, to be put out of the fight, to be knocked down. And that's not just a problem for for you, for me, if we're knocked down. That's a problem for our brothers and sisters. That's a problem for the army. We are depriving the Lord Jesus of a soldier in the fight. Why are you lying prostrate, letting the enemy have his way with you, making you useless as you lie there exposed in your sin, in your addiction to sin, in your refusal to give up your sin. You're making a hole in the lines and you're exposing the soldiers on either side of you. They're getting hurt. The soldiers in your unit, your family, your church, They're being exposed, they're being assailed, they're being hurt. Is this not true? Our sin doesn't just afflict us. It afflicts our husband, wife, our children, our parents, our loved ones, our family, our congregation. And so God calls us to stand up, to stand firm, to cinch on that belt of truth and put on that that breastplate of righteousness. And then he says in verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, if you look at Romans chapter 3, you see there are two two possibilities for how we can be quick to use our feet. Romans chapter 3 verse 15 speaks about those who are unrighteous. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's what life is like outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the strength of the Lord and the power of his might, we have shoes on our feet which are the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Christians, are not quick to shed blood, to bring division, to bring anger, to bring judgment and condemnation, but Christians are quick to bring peace and healing and good news. We disarm enemies with kindness and love and grace. And if we're being attacked by the spiritual forces of evil, and sometimes those spiritual forces of evil come through a specific person who hurts us and attacks us in a vicious way, then we as Christians with our feet shod with the gospel of peace, we slay them 
with our love, with our grace, and with our kindness in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Even way back thousands of years ago, they had already figured out that you could light your arrows and cause a lot more damage, especially to buildings, but even amongst troops. And so here come these flaming arrows at us, and the Roman infantryman had a shield, which is about four foot tall, a nice big door that he could stand behind. It was a wall for him. And when he was in position, together with the rest of his unit, there was a wall of shields. And maybe the kids who read Asterix and Obelix remember the the, the turtle formation, the turtle's formation, where they have all the shields at the front, the shields above. That was a thing, and it, and it worked. It was almost impenetrable for the arrows and the, the slings and the slingshots of the enemy. So take that shield of faith, says the apostle. That shield is given to us. It is a gift. What does the, what does the scripture say? For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. God, every Sunday, is calling his soldiers to assemble, to muster before him. And through the preaching of the word and the reading of the word and the administration of the sacraments, he is working faith in us and in our children, and he is strengthening faith. And we need to be showing up so that we can get that shield and strengthen that shield and learn how to use that shield. Without that shield, we are exposed to be attacked, to be wounded, and to fall. And then there is the helmet of salvation, verse 17. Remember, this is God's armor. There in Isaiah 59, he's wearing that helmet of salvation. God's eternal saving purpose in Christ from before the foundation of the world that he determined and decreed to set his love upon you. This is his decree. Your salvation is secure in his eternal decrees. We know that. You know, nowadays people love to celebrate uncertainty, that's the opposite of faith, and even a lot of Christians fall for that foolishness where the greatest wisdom is to say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know anything. Simply not true. It's not what the Bible teaches. You look at how often the, the New Testament says, we know, we know, we have sure and certain hope in Christ. We know that all things work together for the good of those who, are, who love him and are called according to his eternal purposes. And we know that even when our faith gets weak and even when we drop our shield and even when we are exposed to the arrows of the enemy and even when our hand and our arm gets weak to wield the sword and it seems as though we have no hope, we know that we are safe and secure because God is our shield and our exceedingly great reward. Nothing can take away that sure knowledge and that firm confidence. We know that we are crowned with the certain hope of glory and that what he has begun in our lives, he will bring to completion. And then there's the sword of the Spirit 
which is the word of God. Take it up, says the scripture. Know how to use it. And I've talked to the catechism students about this, that our catechism is kind of like a field manual, an instruction manual on how to use the sword, how to use the weapon of the Christian. And so catechism can be likened to sword drills as we learn to wield these glorious truths of God's holy word to defend ourselves, to destroy the enemy. And remember, the enemy is not people. We don't use the word of God to intimidate or to bully or to win arguments against Arminians and unbelievers. That's not what it's for. The enemy is not people. The enemy is powers of darkness, the powers of sin. And so we use the word to, to cut people loose from the bondage to cosmic powers over this present darkness. And we need to be skilled at it. We need to know it. We need to use it. We need to practice it. It needs to be something which is just a part of our life. In the military, often, at least in basic training, the, the, the soldier is taught to be with their weapon all the time. And when they sleep at night, it's with them in their sleeping bag. You just never let it go. You're always ready to use it. That's how the Word of God needs to be with us. What does the Bible say? Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And that's why we wield that sword in battle, first of all, in our own hearts, in our own souls, as we, as we fight the powers of darkness which assail us in our inner spirit, we wield that sword in our marriage and family and relationships. We take the sword of the word to cut down the forces of darkness, to expose the lies of the devil, and to destroy those cosmic powers which seek to bring evil into our hearts and homes and lives. And all of this we do as we're kitted out with this panoply of God's armor. All of this we do, verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now, over the last two years, the Lord has reminded us many times of his call to prayer, that we must be a praying people. God has reminded us in many ways of the last two years. The question is, are we listening? Are we hearing what he has to say? Praying at all times in the spirit, not a fleshly, dutiful, rote prayer of custom and superstition. Lord, thank you for this food. Forgive our sins. Amen. But continual prayer, heartfelt prayer, real prayer, Communing with God. An army cannot win if there is no communication between the units and between the, the officers and the generals and the troops. No communication equals disaster and defeat. And in God's army, it's the same thing. The Spirit speaks to us in the Word. Our general, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaks to us in the Word, and we speak to Him in prayer. And what do we use prayer for? Well we, well, we call for backup. We call for more supplies. We call for reinforcements. And when there's a man down, we, we cry out and we tell him. We say, Lord, there's someone down. 
Close ranks, protect, help, lift up. Help us, God. You know, Lord say 52 just puts it so beautifully. What is the sixth petition? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. And that is in ourselves, we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh do not cease to attack us. Will you therefore uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit so that in this spiritual war, we may not go down to defeat, but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory. So you've heard what the Lord has to say to us this morning. And here's the question, what is your fight song? What is your fight song? And we as Christians, we can say, well, this is my fight song. My Christ gave me life song. My he has made me righteous song. And this is what it sounds like. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Let's ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Amen.